To me, I would say that when somebody loses their soul, they're putting themselves over the mission or they're putting themselves over the foundation of a relationship. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Welcome to the show today. So glad you're here. I'm delighted to be able to introduce you to a guest who I think you're going to enjoy. Uh, In some of our conversation before the show got started, Charlie mentioned he sells celebration, and I just love that. So we'll find out what that's all about. But Charlie Bales IV is a fourth-generation family member and top executive running a nine-figure family-owned business. He is, and get this combination of roles, he's the vice president of human resources and internal distribution. So those are two fun things to do together, right? Of ABC Fine Wine and Spirits, and he oversees 126 uh, stores in Florida and over 1,600 employees. Charlie's a husband, a father, an executive. He's also an entrepreneur, a CrossFitter. I don't know when you sleep, Charlie, but welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Oh, thanks for having me, David. This is a pleasure. Looking forward to it. And I actually do prioritize sleep and get made fun of it so much so because I tend to go to bed when my seven-year-old goes to bed. I remember reading in some of your uh, biographical information that uh, you enjoy an 8 p.m. bedtime. And I am very proud of it. Um, Proud of it. If I I was at dinner, a couple friends and I mean, it was 9.30 and I'm yawning. And um, <laughs> of course, I'm getting made fun of and I deserve that. But like, it's 9.30, people. What what are we doing? Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, so you're going to sleep at 8 p.m. But what time are you getting up in the morning? Uh, it depends. I mean, uh, normally it's around five and, um, you know, start the day early and get going. All right. Well, Ben Franklin, healthy, wealthy and wise, right? So we're going to tap into some of that wisdom. Before we get into uh, learning more about your work and what you do, want to take you back and you can go as early as works for you and tell us about the first time you remember thinking of yourself as a leader. What a great question. It was probably in high school. You know, I'd love to tell you in Little League and in all these areas, but it was in high school. Uh, I, I transferred high schools to Uh, go play football at the better school. Um, Maybe I was recruited. Maybe I wasn't that we won't talk about that. So we don't, you know, I don't get somebody in trouble for something they did 20 years ago, but that experience and just going to play for a really good team and um, learning from the seniors for a couple of years and then being that senior um, that, that hit me pretty hard that like, Oh, these, these, these kids that are younger than me actually do look up to me the same way that I looked up to the seniors above me. And that was a different kind of leadership. You know, that was more of, um, I'm not their boss. I'm not, uh, somebody that is going to, you know, hire or fire them like I do today. Uh, but that was the experience that, that hit me that I need to walk the walk. And if I'm going to talk the talk, you know, maybe there are some people that would say that they felt that in middle school or in elementary school, but it was probably high school for me. And the answers vary. I will tell you, I ask every guest that question, Charlie, and, uh, and people's answers sometimes go back to, well, when I was six years old, I was selling lemonade. And 
and other times all the way to, you know, well into adulthood of when people realize or, or sense their own leadership. And it's so many, I love the question because there's so many different ways that that manifests for people. And what you just tapped into, I think is so powerful. It's your recognition that you have influence because you recognize the influence that the people in that, you know, the students who had been in those roles before had had for you. And then what that recognition did to you. Holy cow, I have influence. I better take this seriously. Oh yeah. And I certainly wasn't perfect as a 17, 18 year old kid, nor am I even as a 34 year old executive. Um, it's just a, it's an always learning experiment. I'll call it that. Um, it's, it's a fun game. It's fun to be a part of, and it's fun to continually learn. But I think that that appreciation for the continuous learning uh, was driven into me at that younger-ish age, you know, teen, teenage years where it's a powerful thing. Well, and that, that continual learning, obviously, we're all about that here at Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. It's the, the, if there's one reason this podcast exists, it's to help leaders with that exact learning. So we're definitely passionate about that. So, you know, when we're talking about leadership without losing your soul in the, the roles that you have been in, um, the executive roles that you have now, when you think of leaders losing their soul or, or sacrificing their humanity, what does that mean for you? How do you see that transpire or take place? To me, I would say that when somebody loses their soul to steal your, I love the name of your show, by the way, um, they're putting themselves over the mission. Um, or they're putting themselves over the foundation of a relationship. It's just, I, I look at it as a selfish um, act that is very hard. I mean, we're, we're, we're groomed um, to almost be selfish in this country a little bit with our pride and individualism and do it for you, build it yourself. Um, I think that's horrible advice. I've lived through that. Um, and most people, when they tend to, quote, sell their soul um, to this, you know, um, bad force, they're usually doing it for a reason. And I would guess and I've seen um, in my little experience um, that most of the time they're doing it because of a selfish reason. And, you know, it's uh, resonating. My mind's going several different directions as you talk about that. First is that when people take leadership roles, I love where you started, like leadership is inherently selfless. It's not about you. It's about the people. It's about the business. It's about the purpose. And even if you're not in a business context, it's about the mission that you're trying to achieve or the, the service you're providing if you're in public service, right? So it's not about you, but people take leadership roles for lots of different reasons. They call them the five P's. There's, there's the purse, right? We need the money. And there's often a little bump that comes with that. Um, there's the power, there's that illusion of having control and being in and being able to tell people what to do, which anybody who's led for any length of time knows is actually an illusion. And then there's the pride, some people, the status of that comes with it. And, you know, if it's about those three things for you, you're not going to be influential, but if you're about people and you're about purpose, you're going to get there. So my question for you, Charlie, is you're thinking about the leaders that you have worked with or, or your own leadership. All of us have a tendency, I mean, we're human beings, right? We have a tendency to get lost in that sometimes. And we may have started focused on people and purpose, but 
how do we, as we drift or how do we get back to that? You know, do you have any practices that have worked for you to help you not be selfish when you find yourself starting to go there or that you have coached other leaders that you've worked with? Yeah, I would say having a support mechanism, group, whatever you want to call it, is an absolute necessity. For me, uh, I've been married for almost 10 years now, and having a supportive wife is a superpower. Um, But also having a supportive boss um, and having a supportive group of like-minded executives that I have at, at work too, that supports you when, even when it's, it's as if they knew I was going to make this mistake, but they still let it happen. They, because they know we, we look at mistakes at ABC as training opportunities, not just fireable offenses that we just get rid of you because of it. Um, and it, to have those two things, you know, the supportive home life, my wife, and then the supportive team at work, um, that that's, that's the key, I think, to concentrating more on the two good P's, I'll call it, that you brought up. I mean, that's, that's the purpose right there. You're doing it. You're trying to succeed for those two groups. And, you know, I'll, I'll throw the third group in as my kids that you always want to make your, your, the next generation proud. And I think that's what the, uh, the generation that's running our company right now, which is my father and my uncle and um, a couple older cousins, they're, they're doing it for us. So we're doing the same thing. We're doing it for our kids, which everything I just said has to deal with team collaboration, support, and has nothing to do with the individual. I think that that's, that's probably, if I could scream that on top of a mountain, that people are just being spoon fed a lie that you do it for yourself. It'd it'd be something along the lines of that. Yeah. None of us exist in isolation, do we? It's always about the connections and the people that we're with. And, you know, as, as you were talking about the role that your partner plays for you, uh, that your kids and your team and a supportive boss, I know that someone's listening to this right now and they're thinking, well, great for you, Charlie. I wish I had a supportive boss team and I'm single, (laughs) you know, so But there's something that you said that I think is important is you were talking about finding other like-minded leaders and Mm -hmm. you're able to find them in your, in your company, in your role at ABC, Mm -hmm. but not everybody is, but Mm -hmm. that shouldn't stop you. Right. Are you a part of other communities or other connections with other leaders that help support you in those ways? Yes. Um, So I would tell that single person too, that's asking the great question. Well, okay, great. But what about me? Um, Everybody is a leader because you're leading yourself. Um, That's just, that's something that I believe that even the minimum wage, whatever worker at XYZ job, they're a leader, whether they like it or not, you're leading yourself. Um, so just comment on that real quick. And then to answer your question about other support groups. Yeah, I, I have a group of friends that um, I'm extremely close with. Uh, those are personal friends. Um, I, have a, I have professional groups that social media is an unbelievable tool. And it's free for the most part. Um, where you can find those like-minded people if you actually just work on it. You know, LinkedIn is an unbelievable tool. 
Um, Twitter is an unbelievable tool. I love both those two platforms. Um, and really, I, I have an executive coach um, as well that I meet with every two weeks. And, um, you know, I, I have the fortune to work for a company that will pay for me to have a coach. And I realize that not everybody has that. But guess where I met him? LinkedIn. And he's a total stranger um, that has now become one of my closest uh, resources because he challenges me. And he throws things at me that um, I wouldn't really ask myself routinely. And, and really anybody can do that. You just have to tell, you, you have to make the decision. Do you want to invest in yourself or do you want to go buy the new toy? Um, to which I, I would say the harder decision is to invest in yourself. But man, is that going to pay dividends in the long run? Well, and clearly anyone, if you're listening to this, you've made that decision to invest in yourself and we appreciate you being here. Talking with uh, Charlie Bales, the fourth, who is an executive at ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. And so, Charlie, when uh, when we were first getting to know each other earlier today, you were telling me that you sell celebration. And I just love that concept, the the purpose, the connection of what we're doing to why we're doing it. Talk to us a little bit about what it means to sell celebration. Our marketing team that we have is just unbelievable, really. Um, we're, our, our government name is ABC Liquors, Inc., you know, fancy. Um, and then we changed that in the late 90s, early 2000s to ABC Fine Wine and Spirits. Um, and now our current marketing team years ago made the ABC acronym stand for Always Be Celebrating. Um, and there's just, they're, we have so many all-stars in our marketing department. Um, I, I can do a whole nother podcast just talking about how smart they are. Um, so when you, when you, if you came and work a shift in our stores, um, you would see that over that eight hour shift, you're going to interact with hundreds of people that they walk into our stores and I, if there's a, if, if there's a reason to show video on a podcast, it would be my facial expression that like they walk in and they just go like, Oh my gosh, this is a liquor store because they're clean. They're open. We don't have tall shelving. They're inviting. They're colorful. We fill them with really nice people who work there. Um, and like we're, we're selling, most people are coming into our stores to buy a product to celebrate a wedding celebrate a baby, to celebrate the end of the day, to celebrate the weekend. It doesn't matter. The overwhelming majority of people that come in are floored by the beauty of our stores, the service they get. And then the fact that, wait, wait, we're, we're shopping for, you know, beverage alcohol, which can be a celebratory event, not hammers, um, which not say you can't celebrate by using a hammer and building a house. That's, that's fantastic. But um, selling champagne, might be a little easier. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun industry to be in because the overwhelming majority of um, vendors, wholesalers, partners, and our guests in our store um, are extremely responsible. And, and, and we hold ourselves to an unbelievably high standard that we do sell a controlled substance. Um, but we're going to do everything we can to sell it for the right reasons, the celebratory reasons. And that's why we're ABC, always be celebrating. All right. So 
you've got a very clear, we call it, what does success look like or our mind of the MIT, the most important thing. So when you're thinking about what matters most in your business, you've got a, a crystal clear picture of that strategically, what it means, you know, your differentiators in the market, and you know how that translates to behaviors on the ground with every customer. Uh, and you haven't told me these, so I'm going to go out on the limb and say that you probably have a few of those identified. I'd love to hear from you. How do you translate that MIT, that strategic objective of this is who we are and what we stand for? How does that translate to behaviors for team members day to day? Yeah. Um, so uh, you, you probably could have guessed our mission statement and our core values. Um, our mission statement is that we make everyday celebrations better for our team members and guests and team members first before the guest. So really our culture at ABC, we're a fourth generation family owned company. What do you think our culture is like? It's very family-esque. Um, we treat our team members like family. We look at them like family. Um, I ask myself the question all the time and I know the executive team that I get to serve with does too is, if we're going to ask our team members to do this, would we ask our own family to do it? And if the answer is no, we're not going to do it uh, because that's an incomplete violation of our mission. Um, so we also have three very strong core values, um, respect, inspire, and empower. And they're not just fancy words written on a wall that mean absolutely nothing. Um, they're, they actually drive behavior. Um, and drive our culture of a family environment. You're always gonna be respectful. Um, you're never, I say you as any team member, nobody's ever gonna get in any trouble at all if you're always operating with respect at the highest level. Um, and if you're operating that your actions are inspirational, you're looking to inspire those around you, you're looking to inspire yourself, that's what we want. Which then lastly, you know, the word empower, um, it's funny. Uh, we, we, we tend to hire people from much bigger organizations than us, Target, Disney, Walmart, you name it. Um, and they come to us, and this is another fun part of my job that I get to run HR. We call it team member services because um, we want to be special like Google. We just won't copy them and do people operations. That after like a month or two, these new team members that have come from these massive companies, which I have the utmost respect for, they're all great. They usually come into our offices and team member services and they're like, is this real? Like, is, is this really how it works? Like, I have this much freedom, autonomy, I'm empowered to do this, just do the right thing. You're going to hear executives here say, just do the right thing. There is, in order for that to work, there is some definition of the playing field that needs to happen. So for, and maybe that's in alignment with your values, but how do you define the right thing? So as a team member, I know if I choose to take action and it's for these reasons or to achieve this end, I know I'm doing the right thing versus not. How do you define that? Yeah, um, it's a great question. It's something that we asked ourselves right at the beginning when COVID hit. What are we going to do to protect our team members? and just substitute the word team members to children, kids, our own. Um, and that's, that's how you look at it. If the, and that's, that's kind of my gold standard 
um, I should say our gold standard question of defining what does the right thing mean? Well, would you be doing it to your own children? Would the decision you make, would you do it to them? Would you be proud of it? Would your mom be proud of you when you're doing it? Um, those are like our actual thinking um, is, is, is this going to stand up as, you know, in front of the jury, we'll call it, as you truly tried to do the right thing. You put the people over profits. You put team member experience over everything else. Um, and if the answer is even the slightest, maybe it's not. Um, I, think, I think it's a old Derek Sivers um, quote or question. Like it's either the answer is no to everything unless it's a hell yeah. Um, if it's a hard yes or otherwise, no. It, exactly. Um, so that's, that's how we define it. And like we want to leave gray room in there for team members to be empowered to make their own decision um, because then it's a pretty easy question to come after that when you're looking at a decision and if, uh, if it's right or wrong. Is, is it breaking the, our first core value of respect um, because respect is a, it's a, it's a overused term for one. Um, but it's pretty easy to define too that, and you know, if my five-year-old knows the difference between being respectful and disrespectful, then we're going to empower our team members to figure that out as well. Excellent. Now, so you mentioned the application of those values and that principle do the right thing to COVID. And mm -hmm. so as we are recording this and it's, it's coming out, I think what something like 6% of the population in the United States has been vaccinated. We still have a long ways to go. I look mm -hmm. forward to the day I can get to Florida again and visit an ABC. I'm actually really looking forward to that, Charlie. But until then, we have a COVID reality to deal with. And, and I know like every other business, it, it affected yours. Yeah. How did doing the right thing look in practice for you and for, for your organization? What were some of the decisions that you made? So get, let's get real tactical and practical here. Yeah, we obviously did what everybody else did and hung on every CDC recommendation that came out. But what was funny is that the CDC recommendation would come out on this particular day. And as we read it to see what do we need to change, what we need to do, we're already doing everything that they're recommending. Um, you know, we, we were wearing PPE before anybody really knew what the term PPE meant, including myself. Um, we, we have our own maintenance department. Um, across the street from our warehouse, which means that we build a lot of things ourselves. Well, we built shields over our cash registers before most retailers knew what a shield was. I mean, we, we had them two months before the CDC even recommended that everybody have them. Um, why? Because the question we asked in the group is if you're gonna put your daughter behind the cash register, what do you want to do to protect her? Um, well, I want a shield so that way nobody can breathe on her. I want her to have the correct PPE, but also I want her uh, working an appropriate shift. So we cut our store hours. Um, 
the day that things happen. I mean, you're talking about a, a liquor store. When do you think the most purchases happen? They happen at night. We closed every one of our stores at 8 p.m. We closed at 7 p.m. in a lot of areas. I mean, mo- most people don't get off work until then. Um, so we chose to sacrifice sales for the betterment of our team members um, so that they can work better shifts, they can be protected, and they can get home and be with their families during this crazy, crazy time because we had an obligation to stay open as an essential business. Um, but we, we took that to a, an, an extreme um, with cutting store hours, doing things like the cleaning, uh, PPE, shields. We just, we just did everything we could to be able to sleep at night knowing that everything we're doing, we, we're doing because of that question. What do you do if you put one of your kids behind the register? What do you want them to you know, think? What, what do you want to um, protect them with? And that, that single question drove um, our thinking because we look at our team members as part of our family. Mm. It's a, such a powerful question. I'm reminded of uh, uh, partner Karen. She was doing some work with a DECO staffing agency and one of the vice presidents, uh, they were discussing promotion and the leadership roles and who should you be putting into leadership roles? And he had a variation of, of your question there, Charlie, where he would say, I ask myself, would I want my child working for this leader? Mm-hmm. Would they have my child's career interests at heart? Would they you know, take an interest in training and, and developing them and giving them those right opportunities? Would they challenge them and hold them accountable in the right ways when that's needed, right? Uh, and, and would they pr- be providing a healthy atmosphere uh, as a leader? And if the answer, again, is a, <laughs> anything other than a, yeah, absolutely, we don't I don't want to make that person and give them a leadership role. Let's keep working to get them there. So that's, it's an incredibly powerful question you've got there. I I want to take maybe a different direction with it for a second, because you're also vice president of human resources or, or, you know, your, your team, uh, what was the name of your department again, you call it? Uh, Team member services. Team member services. So the reality is not every working relationship works out. And so you have an approach to treating people like family, Mm -hmm. um, being a family-owned business for four generations. And yet, you can't fire your kids. There's there's not really a way to do that, right? Family is family. And so that is one distinction we sometimes draw between business and family situation. How do you, from a leadership perspective, handle those work relationships when separation becomes necessary? What's the process you go through before you know that's the case? And then how do you do it in a way that is in line with the values that you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Um, So management is not easy. Uh, If it were easy, there'd be more people actually doing it. Um, But with that being said, we try to keep respect at the forefront of every separation that we do. Um, I, I've had to separate with dozens, if not you know, more than whatever dozens means of our team members over the years. Um, and I've had to do a lot of those extremely uncomfortable conversations where you're completely blindsiding somebody, or at least they say um, their thought is that they're blindsided. But in every one of those conversations, um, I am picturing 
my wife sitting right next to me. And is she proud of what I'm saying? Um, is my daughter proud of what I'm saying? This is being recorded and my grandmother is going to look at it. Is she going to be happy um, with how I'm treating this person? And, you know, it's still, if, they're, if the person that you're having this hard conversation with isn't giving um, the respect back to myself, as I'm just talking about myself, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go down to that level. I'll just end the conversation. I'll just, you know, a practical answer to the question is I'll just end it. And like, let's just move on. This clearly isn't working. So let's just, let's move on. Um, but that, that's the goal is that you don't want those hard conversations to end poorly. Every, I mean, that's nobody's goal. Um, so that's just what we try to do. It's what we try to train and teach our managers that are going to have those conversations. The person that you're talking to did not wake up this morning and say, I'm going to do everything I can to not do a good job at work. <laughs> you know, it's really just putting the, the human back into humanity, you know, and treating the other person on the, on the other side of the table as a real person, not just a number or a statistic or anything lower than that. Um, and as I've seen in my career, when you do that, I can, I can tell you that every single one of those hard conversations, I have never had one go awry. Um, and that's, that's powerful. I mean, you're talking probably close to 100 conversations. Not one has gone the negative way um, where you, know, you have to intervene. Um, so that's, that's powerful. You know, that ability that every leader has, and if you're listening today and you're, you're facing, gosh, I know I have to have one of these tough conversations, always approaching the other human being with dignity and respect, right? Regardless of what they're doing, right? It's about the choices you're making. And so when you're showing up and saying, all right, dignity and respect in this and that they're a human being. I love, Charlie, what you were saying earlier. No one, I, I say the same thing all the time. No one woke up saying, gosh, how can I tick off my manager today, right? They didn't get out of bed thinking about you in that way. They're, they're dealing with their own stuff, doing the best they can. Maybe it's not a great role for them. Maybe something else has happened. Maybe, maybe it's just not the right fit. It's okay. Helping them move somewhere else. And that's part of that dignity and respect equation. So I'm curious, you do a lot of leadership development internally for your managers and, and leaders. What are three of the most important skills or principles that, you want your leaders and managers using to be as effective as they can be to achieve the results, to be building the relationships in their work. Well, I love that you asked me for three because we have three core values that I think are perfect topics that we try to teach people and the principles, um, especially when you're in a position of leadership. And I'll diverge a little bit on the answers from what I've talked about earlier. Um, because I mean, nothing is a, is, a, is, a, is an easy answer. So let's talk about the first word, respect. Um, it's one thing for me to tell somebody, just respect the vendors that come through the door, the team members you work with. But actually what I think is the most important thing, respect yourself. You, if you do not respect yourself, why would you expect anybody else to respect you? Um, and that means you need to respect when you show up to work, how you show up to work, what you do after work, how you take care of yourself, 
all of those things, I think, that are extremely important um, for any leader. Just look in the mirror. Are, are you, you know, walking the walk that you're talking? Um, and if you're not, why are you surprised that other people on your team aren't respecting you? Um, so that's the first. Um, and then we'll go to our word, inspire, um, where I think the automatic reaction is to inspire your peers and inspire your team when what we're really trying to say is inspire yourself. Like you should be your own biggest cheerleader to keep going. And if you need an external factor, how I just talked about having that hard conversation, I think of my wife next to me. Am I inspiring her through what I'm doing? So it's just taking it a level further. I'm not saying it's wrong at all to try to inspire your coworkers or, or your subordinates. But if you take it the next step, are you inspiring yourself? Are you inspiring your family? Um, and then lastly, empower. So what that word means to me when you take it just to a much deeper level is treating the other person like they're an adult and trusting them. And by showing them that I'm going to empower you to make this decision. Here are some guiding principles. I'm not going to make it for you. You're empowered to do what you think is best for yourself, for your team, for your store, for your family, for everybody. Um, and if that means not even working for ABC anymore, then fantastic. You've just learned something that we're trying to teach you. Um, so empowerment isn't just you're empowered to do X, Y, or Z. It's so much deeper than that. Um, and we, we, you know, are we perfect? No, but we're, we're trying everything we can to get our leadership and our managers and any training that we can do to just take our core values to the next level. Um, and if you do that, hopefully then you're either, well, you will, you will get promoted within our company or go somewhere else. Like no, no pride of authorship here, go somewhere else and just make, make their operation better, make the world a better place. I think that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to be that training grounds um, for people to learn some life skills that will help them on whatever their next job is. Oh, I love that so much. I mean, it's really about the, the mission that we're on at Let's Grow Leaders, right? Because every leader who chooses that mantle, and you said everybody is a leader first for themselves, obviously. And then when you get into where I'm taking responsibility for other people, the influence that you're having goes far beyond the product you're selling, the service you're supplying, right? It, you're having that influence on the people that they're then, that ripples out from there. And so it's, it's beyond whatever business you might be in. If you're listening today, your influence is about making the world a better world. And that's ultimately the journey and the work that we're all doing, whether you are selling celebration, whether you're taking care of patients at a hospital, you know, whether you're processing and helping people get their driver's license, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, we're making the world better for somebody if we're doing it well. So listen, I want to, you know, we've been talking about, and I, by the way, I have to just highlight those one more time. Those are great. So because every leader can do this for themselves. You don't have to work in an organization that has the same three core values that, that you have, but starting with that respect for yourself as the foundation for anyone else respecting you, 
that's powerful. And I know in my own life, there have been times I've had to look in the mirror and go, wow, I got to get that together. Right. Um, inspiration back to inspiring yourself. It's, uh, you know, and I haven't heard that twist on it before, but where's your motivation coming from? What's doing that for you? And then the empowering of others and, you know, in your definition, they're pretty straightforward. Treat them like adults, give people the principles, give them the playing field and let people make good decisions and work through so they can make better decisions in the future. Those are three practical steps that you can take as a leader. Um, hopefully you've gotten your time and your value worth already from the, the episode today, but we're not done because Charlie, I would like to ask you to tell us if you would about the toughest leadership lesson that you ever had to learn personally. Um, and if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a little bit about what happened, what you learned from it and what you're doing now as a result. Yeah, I'm happy to answer it. It's a tough answer, but I mean, this, this is why we talk, right? So we can learn, you know, I, I might sound like I'm extremely confident and I know what I'm talking about and I've learned all these things, but there's a reason why. And that's because what I was trying to do in the past clearly did not work. And I, I fought, um, I fought hard against a lot of the things that I'm talking about today, because again, I was, I was raised in, you know, this American culture of individualism and being a strong, you know, male and all the things. And um, that doesn't work. I mean, I'm sure it can work in certain company cultures, but in the company that I work for, it, it wasn't going to work. And it took me a while to see that. And, you know, a lot of people that care deeply for me um, had to tell me that. Um, and they had to tell it to me not once, but mul multiple times. And, you know, something in the past year or so clicked finally. And I'm sure all of them are going, thank God. Like he finally sees it um, because I, I, would, I would be confident in saying that had I acted and done some of the things that I've uh, done in my past for a non-family business, um, that might have ended a little differently. But there's a lot of credit that needs to be given to this support group that I've talked about in the previous answers, um, that being my, my house, so my wife. And then my house outside of my house work, which is full of family, but also non-family members too, that every single one of them is, is looking out for me um, because that's our culture. And, you know, I just, I needed time to develop and they allowed that and they allowed the patience and the discipline. And, you know, without that, I, I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. I wouldn't have anything to talk about where if that's, if that's something that I can um, impart to your listeners that, you know, really take the advice of the people that are in your support groups that are on your team. And you might think, oh, that person's not on my team. Well, maybe you should think again, because I bet you they are. You're just not reading the situation correctly because I was guilty of that too. Um, let them in. Let, let them train and coach you and watch what happens. Um, and it's, 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 it's powerful. It, it, it'll change your life. It'll change everything. It'll change everybody else's life that you care about. Um, and I had the good fortune to have really good leadership 
allow me to have that process happen. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Oh, Charlie, that's so powerful. You know, we talk a lot here at Let's Grow Leaders about the foundation of confidence and humility, right? And so, yeah, the confidence to show up with your strengths, but the humility to listen to feedback, to, to actively challenge your own thinking um, and hear wisdom when it's presented. And not all of it's going to work for you, but to use what, and I like how the way you said it, like try. If you're hearing things, try them and see what happens and how much we can learn from that. You know, you reminded me of a conversation I had uh, recently with a, a CEO who I have known since he was, he was a, a program manager, a, a kind of entry-level program management. And now he's a CEO. And he said, looking back at my career, oh my goodness, some of the goofy stuff I did with good intentions. And I was trying and I thought I was doing the right thing, but and now I realize just how much patience and tolerance some of the leaders around me had yeah. uh, and helped me to grow through that and out of it when they didn't have to. And it, it, he wasn't in family businesses at all, you know, but the, the principle there of recognizing that for ourselves and how much we can gain from other people, showing up with confidence and humility puts you on the road to being the leader that you want your boss to be. And that's kind of a, a catchphrase for us here, Charlie. So we appreciate you sharing all that you have shared about your own journey, um, about the work that you're doing, about the culture at ABC and what leadership looks like there, because everyone listening today, you can take these tools, apply them yourself and become that leader. So Charlie, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for having me. This is a, this is a pleasure. Um, happy to be a part of it and Hopefully some, some listeners got, uh, got, some, got something to take away from it. And um, I'm, um, I'm happy to connect with anybody if they've got further questions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, so I'm happy to share those profiles with you. But if you just search my name, it's probably going to come up. And we're going to put those uh, in the show notes. So if you want to connect with uh, Charlie on LinkedIn, hey, the power of social media, right? Social media has been getting a bad rap lately and, and it, yeah, there's tons of problems with it. But boy, Charlie, you mentioned such a powerful one, the ability to connect with other leaders, other like-minded people and build your own community of people who are trying to do things in a good way, in a way that gets the results, builds the relationships, people who are committed to confidence and humility. So take advantage of that. You'll find... Uh, uh, Charlie on Twitter at C.E. Bales, B-A-I-L-E-S. And we'll get those other, uh, the, the uh, LinkedIn and uh, even your website. Tell us uh, where we can find ABC on the web. Our website is abcfwsfindwineandspirits.com. And it's a mouthful, but it kind of runs well together. You know, ABC Find Wine and Spirits. Our website's great. Check it out. It'll probably ask you where you are and if you want to buy something. So if you're in Florida, stop by or order online. We got that up and running pretty quickly uh, with COVID hitting, um, which has got a whole nother story in and of itself. But um, yeah, I, I would love to connect to anybody. I just, I like, I like talking to people, um, especially like yourself, David. Um, and I just really appreciate this opportunity. So thank you very, very much. Been our pleasure. Appreciate all that you shared with us. And you said, I hope people got something. They absolutely did. All right, Charlie, you get, I'm going to give you the final word here. Any last thought that 
encapsulates everything that you believe about leadership. If, or if that's too big, it can just be a funny quote. Whatever you'd like to do to leave us, take us out. I, I got I got a good curveball, um, although it probably isn't too big of a curveball. Your listeners would be like, yeah, of course you can say that. But work out, like work out your body, be physical, get in shape, take care of yourself. Um, that's the foundation of respecting yourself and inspiring yourself. So I guess I could have just said two words, work out. So there, work out. All right, until next time, work <laughs> out and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.